So let's say you have a, a, an executive, a high-functioning, high-profile executive that um, didn't do any work. Mm-hmm. Okay? And let's say they're coming from, they had a fight with their partner in the morning. Right. And it really hit some of those deep injury-wounded places okay. from when mom or dad or caregiver dismissed, invalidated, put their feelings away. Mm-hmm. That person's going to walk in the door and they're going to be having a really hard time. They might start yelling. They might start barking orders. They might have really super inconsistent ways of leading mm-hmm. in their workplace. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Real Leadership Podcast. My name is Chris Obst. I've spent the last 25 years going deep with leaders on the real challenges they face, the stuff that keeps them up at night. Are you ready for raw and honest conversations and the reality that self-leadership and personal growth are the keys to you being the leader that you were meant to be? What I think is funny is you're um, you're on my turf today. I am on your <laughs> turf today. I am. Usually. Uh, and taking your lead instead you, of you taking my lead. Yeah. And, and usually I'm yeah. sitting on a couch with a big box of Kleenex beside me. I do have the Costco membership for Kleenex. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, well, really excited to have you here. Um, I know we've talked about it for a while and it's fun to be doing it over a cup of coffee, um, knowing that we're both kind of fanatical about this. And good coffee. This is fanatical about good coffee. Good coffee. <laughs> yeah. This very acceptable drug that we're all addicted to. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so for my listeners, mm-hmm. I have Chantal Burke with me, um, and I think she's a unique guest in, in, in terms of the people I normally invite on. So Chantal is my therapist. How does it feel to say that wow. out loud? <laughs> I was just thinking that. Hmm. How does that feel to kind of put that out there? I don't know. I feel like I, I just got a flashback to Woody Allen or something like that. <laughs> uh, it feels... Interesting. I, mm-hmm. I mean, you and I had a quick chat earlier about this, and I said mm-hmm. I was prepared to, to be open and vulnerable. Um, so I'm going to let Chantel introduce her and what she does in, in a couple of moments, because I, there's no way I would do it justice. <laughs> but you, uh, I met you in the last couple of years yeah. um, in light of the transition that's been happening in my family. And mm-hmm. um, I actually can't believe the changes in me, the growth, the the self-knowledge that has come from working with you. And I've seen you help people in my family. And I just thought my listeners need to know about this. And so, you know, I, I know that the people I work with are busy, driven mm-hmm. individuals. Mm-hmm. And I wished... I wish I had exposure to you and what you do 20, 30 years ago. And so this is me saying, hey, listeners, there's something cool here. Because you know me, if I believe in something, I get a little fanatical, maybe evangelical about it. Uh, And this is something I wanted to share. So Chantal, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for making time. So I called you my therapist. You did. Sometimes I call you my counselor. Uh, well, what is it? What's the scope of what you do? Let's let's start with that, and maybe yeah. some of the differences and titles between. There's lots out there. Yeah, there's lots out there, and it can be confusing for anybody to try to figure out what am I doing, where am I going, why is this person better than this person, or you know, it. There is a lot of us. There yeah. is a lot of us. Um, so what I do is that. Um, so I have my master's degree in counseling psychology. I got it from University of Victoria. 
um, with a bachelor's in child and youth care. Okay. So that's a bit of a different pathway than some people do. A lot of people do like a psych degree. Right. Um, and then they kind of move in or a social work degree. Mine was a little bit different because of kind of where I started with what I wanted to do, okay. which was I really wanted to work with teens. That's what I really started in my early 20s, what I wanted to do. Um, and then it's morphed into here I am now um, in private practice in, on the North Shore. Um, and being feeling very grateful and so much privileged to work with the clients that I do. I mm. feel very, very fortunate, yourself included, to be able to witness your journey is really my privilege. So Yeah, that certainly comes out in your work. You are not, to me, and you know, I'm pretty critical about professionals, and um, you bring such a passion and commitment to what you do, not just the technical, like I think people can get their training in anything, True. But it's like, are they really in it? And I, I do feel that mm -hmm. with you. So so what is, and, and part of my goal here is, mm -hmm. is recognizing that a lot of the my clients, um, certainly friends, but, but the professional people I interact with, mm -hmm. my sense is a lot of them aren't seeing a counselor or therapist. Right. And I'm realizing now it's it's like... I think we should all do that. Like, I, I, it's just like going to the gym and working out your body or thinking about, you know, what you put in your body food wise and like to actually attend to your brain and your emotions in Absolutely. a way that they're just starving for. So I guess, why do you think, why are so few people there yet? Why are so few? Yeah. yeah. What's holding people back? Absolutely. It's such a good question. I, um, when you were saying that I had a moment, um, in that Oprah moment where I want to be like, you get a therapist and <laughs> you get a therapist and you do in the back. Um, the first thing right away is that just the way that um, therapy has evolved over time from like the forefathers of Sigmund Freud, we always have to, you know, he's the one, right? Yeah. But that it started and was shown up and showed in society around illness, mm -hmm. so much illness, mm -hmm. like you're unwell, schizophrenia, like those really big ones. And that's how people understand a therapist or a psychoanalysis or something like that, that they think that I have to be so unwell mm -hmm. to access this kind of support. And mm. what I and what I'm noticing in the landscape changing, which I'm really loving, is that the generation Gen Z, I guess, the younger ones in their 20s now are starting to say, I don't need to be unwell, quote unquote, to need a safe place, a confidential place where I can talk about my most raw thoughts, my most true self, and actually engage with someone who wants to help me mm. and just live my a life that I feel is worth living. And mm. so I'm starting to notice the landscaping changing, which is so nice because I just noticed that most of my clients come in once they've kind of gotten through the initial jitters of like a new person and I'm supposed to come and tell my deepest, darkest secrets and oh my God. But I notice their shoulders just come in and just go, oh, I'm seen here, I'm heard here, I'm held here in this space with non-judgmental, loving eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm wanting more and more people to engage with therapy for. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, I mean, it really is what you just said resonates so much with me about people wanting to be seen and heard. And mm -hmm. I, I've probably heard myself in, in workshops and coaching sessions when I'm, I'm talking to leaders about you know, leading their teams, it's like all humans have a need to feel valued, Absolutely. like not a desire, not a preference, not a want, but a, a, an innate need to feel valued. And, and part of feeling valued is being seen and heard. And as I'm starting to realize held, right. Mm -hmm. And that held can mean a lot of things. 
So, okay, so you, you've got this skill set. There's there's loads of other professionals like mm-hmm. you out there. Yep. Um, and I've, I picture this subset of the population, which is the busy professional folks that I work with, mm-hmm. that I see struggling. And, and where I intervene early on with my clients, as the listeners know, is... Okay, how are you doing? And I think about like their whole life, like holistically, not yeah. not are you crushing it at work? Because everyone wants to crush it at work, but there's mm-hmm. a cost to that. Mm-hmm. And if you want to keep crushing it at work, you need to be paying attention to other parts of your life, right? So what I see is that people are many times burnt out. They're, they're not sleeping. They're not exercising. They're not eating well. They're not taking breaks. They've lost touch with their friends and their hobbies and their interests, and they just feel pulled in so many directions. And so the thought of, oh, you should probably go invest some time right. and resources into counseling or therapy mm-hmm. just feels like one more thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do we need to tell them? How do we bring them over? <laughs> How do we bring them over to the dark side? Yeah. Well, yeah, because look, if, you know, to be, you know, completely open, like yeah. I, I, end up coming to see you mm-hmm. because of work you were doing with my daughter. Absolutely. Yes. I, I brought you in. I asked you to come in and join as opposed to you seeking me out. So it's quite a different little oh, dynamic, I, right? I wasn't sure if it was you or her. <laughs> it was all me. <laughs> I inserted myself in there, okay. which is a part of my training and passion is working with parents and children and my like emotion focused family therapy training. Just one of the things that I do is, is that but how do we so yeah like we are um especially in the environment that we live in here and the land that we enjoy is that people are really stuck in a high performance mindset Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that it's wonderful to want big things to want achievement to want these things but at what cost and my question would be you know one of the wonderful things that you can enjoy and discover in therapy is why What's your why? Mm -hmm. Why are you pushing so hard? Mm -hmm. What is going on for you underneath all of that behavior of, Mm -hmm. I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to go here, I have to do this. And it's, you know, we all have these core beliefs underneath that I don't think a lot of people realize that Mm -hmm. therapy can actually help you understand. Yeah. Am I motivating from a place of, if I don't do this, then I'm not good enough? If I don't do this, then I'm unlovable. Mm-hmm. What is the core belief that you're actually motivating from? Mm-hmm. And I find that that's something that for high-performing people in leadership positions would be probably really beneficial for them to go to therapy and find out their why. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And, you know, as someone that's been coaching executives for mm-hmm. over 20 years, mm-hmm. it's it's like I can feel, like now I can actually see the picture of what's next for them. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, it was sort of like, I know you're stuck and I know there's something here. I don't have the skill set. I want right. you I want you to be free and feel better, stronger, faster, more connected to yourself. And I know there's something. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't got the tools. And and I remember early days when um, clients who were new to coaching um, would say to me in a session, you know, once we got through the, like you say, the beginning part mm-hmm. and they're starting to open up and say, oh, I feel like I'm I'm in counseling. And I would say, oh, well, I'm not a counselor. That's not my skill set. 
but have you been to counseling? No, mm. but it just feels like what I think it would feel like. Mm. And, and what I realize is what they're saying is I'm opening up to someone sort of outside my circle. Mm -hmm. It feels kind of safe. They're asking me good questions and they're listening. Mm -hmm. And so I always took that as a compliment, even though at that time I didn't even realize what therapy and counseling was. It, to me, it felt like yeah. there's trust here mm -hmm. um, and you're opening up. And so I, I, I just feel like... <laughs> I know you have only so many hours of the day and between the people in my circle that are that are now seeing you, <laughs> I, I I need a book of of people like you because right. honestly, and I used to do work um, in focused on family enterprise and, and mm -hmm. in that um, I had a lot of conversations with families. So mm -hmm. so imagine brothers yeah. in business together, brothers and sisters, mother mothers and fathers. And one of the reasons I stopped focusing in that area is that it was so painful. Oh, the dynamics, I can't imagine. Chantel, it was so slow moving because mm. I'm trying to help them, you know, follow the protocol of what good communication looks like and, and what's right for the business and the family. Mm -hmm. And then I get one of the family members alone and <laughs> this would be like a 42 year old man saying, yeah, yeah, but every time I went to the schoolyard, my brother ran ahead with his friends and left me behind. Yeah, that shit was still there in the boardroom Absolutely. of a multi-million-dollar organization. Mm -hmm. How so, could like, that that's be? Like such a like that's such a good point as to like there it is again. Like, why does someone engage with therapy? It's like, well, you do have to deal with your stuff, and so like talking and even like going back to like well, like what you were saying around like. Um, how do people get here and like the stigma around yeah, therapy yeah. and whatnot and it's like well we all are impacted and the world is hard mm -hmm. the world is hard and it's heavy and it can really hurt sometimes mm -hmm. and if we don't deal with our emotions and we don't deal with our stuff then it just layers upon layers upon layers until that you know hair trigger comes and it's the decision, let's say, that the brother made mm -hmm. that the other brother didn't like. And then it's a blow up. Yeah. And so it's like, if you know what your hair triggers are and if you've dealt with your process, mm -hmm. you might be able to handle that in such a different, more effective and less traumatizing way for everybody involved. Right, right. <laughs> right? Not just yourself, but for the, how the relationship's going to affect it, probably for how like loved ones and family, you're going to just move into being a... A better person you're going to feel better about yourself and so then you're going to be a good person in the world mm -hmm. in how you relate to other people right right which doesn't mean you need to be perfect absolutely but, not but the self-awareness yes like I thought I was self-aware and then you met me <laughs> <laughs> and then we went to a whole other place <laughs> oh, yeah. and it's beautiful though because like if you were if I was to ask you a question then to yeah. say you felt like you were really self-aware you felt like you were really there yeah and then you came to therapy mm. what did you notice that changed in your work in your leadership and when that by going to a deeper level of deep awareness of messiness of shadow that we all carry yeah yeah well I think what I noticed was even though I work in a space and carry myself like someone who is vulnerable mm -hmm. compared to the bell curve or the yes. average person if we walk down the, a busy street in a busy city I'm like yeah I'm Mr. Vulnerability and it's mm -hmm. like uh, it's kind of a crock of shit because 
vulnerability is is being in a place where you're really uncertain, scared, and uncomfortable. Absolutely. So we can get comfortable, especially coachy types like me can get comfortable looking vulnerable because relative to others, we may seem it. We can talk about most anything. We can talk about feelings, but... Uh, so I think that's part of what the revelation for me mm-hmm. was like there was parts. You, I love that language around your shadow side or the dark side. And mm-hmm. uh, it's like a recognition that there's wounds in me, parts of me that are ugly that I don't like that have been manifesting my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I've worked that out on everyone in my world, not intentionally. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know I lead with love, but my kids, you know, my marriage, my my ex-employees, my mm-hmm. clients, there's a piece of that that manifests everywhere I go. Yeah. And so I think that... <sighs> so what I've realized, and it's it's really humbling, is like you start to look back, and, and I, I hope that this doesn't discourage the listeners because it is, honestly, it feels so... It's liberating. Mm-hmm. I can look back on, on times in my life and go, oh, I now see why I did that, said that, mm-hmm. felt this, acted that way. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's this kind of cool mix of accountability, like there's a there's a, a spotlight on you and mm-hmm. your behavior, but then there's this recognition of, of why certain things happen. So it's not letting you off the hook, but it is giving you a little bit of grace. Absolutely. Anyway. Well, what I'd love to just even say on that and for the listeners to know about therapy and that, yeah, we go to these dark places where we can really find it hard to hold or hold ourselves with like self-compassion and, and, um, love that also though, that the repair, whether the repair with ourselves, the repair in our relationships are so much stronger than the break. And in coming to therapy and saying, let's say in your work around, let's say something didn't go well between like a CEO and like an employee and it and they're just riddled in shame for how they handled it, right? Yeah, yeah. If someone can go into therapy and learn about and learn to look at themselves with self-compassion and loving eyes and say, that wasn't my greatest moment and I'm going to do better, the repair is going to be mm. so much stronger than mm. the break ever was right because you can the brain doesn't forget and the brain can heal and say wow that took so much for you to come to me with so much vulnerability right. not perceived vulnerability right. but vulnerability of saying yeah i messed up and that wasn't my greatest self mm-hmm. do you think we can try again mm-hmm. right yeah which is so rare to have someone like truly truly sit in it right yeah, yeah. own own what they did mm-hmm. and and really mean it mm-hmm. um a couple of the other things that just mm-hmm. that, that pop into my mind around this is pieces that I, I think you and your work have helped normalize is, is just around like what trust really is, mm. um, what healthy communication looks like, what boundaries are. Mm, boundaries. Yeah. And I, <laughs> you know, obviously that the work I've done with you has been focused on my personal life, my, yeah. my family life. And it's interesting because it's, it's helping me as a professional. I don't try and be a counselor or a therapist to my, my clients, but mm-hmm. a couple of things have happened is my awareness around this stuff has mm-hmm. really sort of uh, been amped up. Mm-hmm. So now I notice things and, and just that language. And, um, you know, it's funny, we were talking about getting ready for this podcast and I suggested oh listen to the one I did with Hillary Schneider who who is my equine assisted my horse coach and Mm -hmm. and horses taught me a lot about boundaries and Mm -hmm. you know those are those that's a word that wasn't even in my vernacular two years ago um 
And so those those pieces I think are just so practical. Like I was just I'm just imagining in a in a corporate environment or organization, you know, if they actually had somebody with your skills and, and training on site. Absolutely. Like you have a first aid person if somebody, you know, twists mm-hmm. their ankle or cuts their finger, like to have somebody there when when an employee is feeling overwhelmed or stressed or they've mm-hmm. just had a meltdown in front of everywhere or a blowout with their boss or they're not speaking up mm-hmm. but they're 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 just boiling inside and just to have someone that they could talk to it be... would it would change the entire culture it would change the entire culture of the workplace because someone would know that and they could start to learn that like oh i'm not feeling really great right now and I have a safe place to go talk yes. instead of biting off somebody's head and then creating a toxic culture within the workplace. Yes. Right? Like it would change the entire landscape and the emotional help of everybody. Now let's think about the trickle down effect. If they have a safe place to talk to in their workplace with these high stress environments and other people's work and et cetera, et cetera, they have a safe place. They go, they release their feelings in a safe place and they're hurt and held. They go home to their family, they go home to their partner. And they're not spewing all of their garbage, all of their emotional stuff that they had all day into their relationship. Mm -hmm. They're coming home with openness, with love, with ease, and then their relationship is great. Hmm. Right? Because how many times do we hear, and I don't know how you hear it in your work, I hear it in mine with all types of professionals. It's like, I had a bad day and then my partner came home and just trashed me because they had a bad day. Yeah. And we talk about this like secure base, right? Because there's a secure attachment between partners. Some, sometimes we know that that's, <laughs> that's the goal. Do we all reach it? Mm. Relationships are tricky. But when we feel safe with someone, we also it's not a license to just go mm-hmm. and to just be an ass. Right, right. It's actually maybe more of a license to practice healthy responsible communication yeah you know what popped in my head is you're mm-hmm. explaining that scenario of you know someone going through all this at work and then mm-hmm. coming home and sort of dumping all over their loved ones is, mm-hmm. there's another side that I've seen maybe experience where you you come home and just shut down absolutely right where you, yeah. where you don't you don't want to give you're any, done anything. you're toast right yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, some clients have, have given me a version of this. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I worked all day and I, I went in early and I, I, you know, I worked through lunch because I just had so much to get done. And I come through the door and my, you know, five-year-old wants to mm-hmm. get on the floor and play a board game. Mm-hmm. And they say, I'd rather take a bullet mm-hmm. in that moment because mm-hmm. they just want to crawl in a cave. And um, here's what we should do. We should We should have a fleet of you know, those big sprinter vans. Yes. And we show up at the workplace and yeah. before people go home, we make them have a workout mm. and, and, um, we make them have a little session, a little therapy session Absolutely. And, and we adjust their, their, their body we and their recalibrate mind, right? everything, and then they, right? and then they go home that, that maybe that's, maybe, maybe there's that's something the idea, there for right? us. So, okay. Obviously you and I are so old, like we believe in this. I've, you know, this mm. is, I've come to the dark side and and I'm going into deeper waters because it's like, yeah, it actually feels good. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it does feel liberating. liberating. Um, one of the revelations I had, and I'm wondering how we how we draw this connection to the workplace. So, you know, one of the areas that you and I have focused on is relationships. And yeah. um, we were talking about romantic relationships and, and I had this kind of insight that it's like, oh, I see. So when two people get together romantically, they're basically 
going to work out their unresolved shit from their childhood yeah. on each other. I saw this wonderful, I can't take credit for it. You know, I'm, I love the memes though. I saw this wonderful thing on Instagram from someone and it said, um, if you don't deal with your childhood trauma, your romantic relationships will. Yeah, that's very eloquent. And it's so, a great way of putting it. Yeah, true. so, you know, I know what you're talking about. And this is interesting because when you say childhood trauma, mm -hmm. what, where do you go? Yeah, so what I think of is, you know, physical abuse, mm -hmm. sexual abuse, mm -hmm. like heavy duty, you know, someone should be behind bars. Yeah, for sure. Realizing that trauma comes in all shapes and sizes, and it, you know, and for those listeners that just hearing these words, I know it's bringing up something for you that you, you, some of you are being drawn in, and mm. some of you are being pulled back. And I, I get it, and it's normal. And I'm not gonna. This is why I wanted to have Chantal here today is to is to just normalize some of this. So I actually believe that there probably isn't a human out there that doesn't have some form of trauma that's happened in mm -hmm. the childhood. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? Like just mm -hmm. to, to kind of normalize it and just give like what that bucket looks like of potential things that. Yeah. And, and also it also is, I hope hopefully through this would uh, continue to break down barriers for people to access a therapist and support in some form or another, because yes, absolutely. There are those heavy, heavy hitters, right? The big, big traumas that you hear about that you're like, Oh my God. Right. And then there's also though, things that impact us and do we want to slap a name of trauma on it we can some people do have a lot of trauma because it can be like it's like consistent exposure to something that was really upsetting over time so mm -hmm. one thing that is really showing up in the therapeutic landscape these days is we're really understanding the significant impact of uh, emotional neglect mm -hmm. in families and that is a lack of attunement, a lack of co-regulation, either a shutdown parent, an inconsistent parent, but all within the emotional landscape. So a lot of people have a really hard time validating their experience because they're like, well, I wasn't hit, I wasn't sexually abused, so I should, there should be nothing wrong with me. But that's kind of going back to the idea, I'm not sick enough to access therapy. Right. Right. And it's like, no, that doesn't, things did happen to you. And also, you don't also have to have childhood trauma, quote unquote, to access therapy. Things can impact you. You were bullied on the playground, but in your brain with your very beautiful complex array of factors, that impacted you in a really big way where now you can't get up in front of a crowd of people and speak because you're so worried about being humiliated mm. because that time you were humiliated on the playground by that bully. Mm. Would someone say that's traumatizing, quote unquote? Probably not. No. I probably wouldn't say it either. Right. But what I would say is that that impacted you enough that you're carrying it around with you today. Hmm. Let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. Let's work on that. Right. Right. So it's like we want to both normalize that things impact us and also recognize that you don't have to have had a massive impact to access a safe place to say, this stuff's bothering me. I need to work on it. It's impacting my life. Yeah. Yeah. So... There are people in my world mm. out there that would say, everyone's had stuff. Why go looking for trouble? Why mm. why stir up this hornet's nest? So what? You were bullied in the playground. So what? You had one parent that was inconsistent. What? I know. Yeah. There's a so what? 
help help me help us <laughs> well so i would say you know if i and you know how i am in mm. session so if someone came to me and said well of course everybody has that i mm. would say t- two things one is say well why not like why not take it on yeah why why not look into that mm-hmm. what what's underneath that mm-hmm. that you're actually not wanting to mm-hmm. and at the same time and then this is where you know i kind of do that little thing and to say I know it's hard that you didn't get what you needed Mm -hmm. and maybe even harder that you got something else that you didn't want. Mm -hmm. And it's probably a lot easier and a lot safer and a lot more protective to just brush it off, dismiss it, let it move. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Everybody's got that. Everybody's got stuff. You're right. Everybody does have stuff. But the difference between a person that's probably feeling really good about their life and a life worth living is someone who has a real solid grasp on those things. Yeah. Okay. So I'm with you. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> and what can you paint a picture? Maybe pick an example of whether it's childhood neglect or inconsistent sure. um, parent mm-hmm. <clears throat> left unchecked. How that might manifest itself as a as a grown ass adult mm-hmm. in relationships in the workplace in how they navigate their world. So 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 how it manifests if we don't. Address it, mm-hmm. and and if we do address it, what changes for us? Mm-hmm. So let's like we'll look at it from let's take a maybe like an example, or I would just make an imaginary example of like someone in your world in oh, your work, goodness. right? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're here. Yeah. Um, so you have a high leading executive, let's say, right? And let's say they come from a family where they had super inconsistent emotional attunement from a parent, right. but because it wasn't a capital T, mm-hmm. they didn't really pay much attention to it. But they were they were told to stuff it, you know. Their emotions were told to stuff it, and no, that's um, not important. Sorry. Yeah. So emotional attunement. Mm. To, Unpack that a little bit. Just a bit. Totally. Um, so it's like our brains naturally do it. Quite honestly, when they're very open, babies are looking eye contact. We coo, we coo back. Right. All of that. We sway. You ever notice when you pick up a baby, you just kind of naturally yeah, sway a little neuro, bit. Neuron stuff. All and... that stuff is like at its at its at its peak, right? So when you're in session mm-hmm. and you're having an emotion that you're experiencing, mm-hmm. you'll notice that my body language changes. Mm-hmm. I lean in. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Right. I'm watching. Yeah. I am becoming emotionally attuned to what you're doing. Okay. As opposed to, let's say, you're having an emotion. I lean back. I kind of write on my pad. I'm like, oh, yeah. I look at my watch. That's a complete lack of attunement, right? <laughs> When's he going to be done falling? Can into we be done? You know, like that, and that's such a dis, that's a dismissive, invalidating response to someone who's having a vulnerable experience, and children experience at all times because they don't have their prefrontal cortex fully developed. Mm. They're just a raging limbic system of emotion. Okay, and it's the parent's job, keeping in mind thirty percent of the time to have a secure attachment. So we only need to be a good enough parent. Just really need to put that out there. There's no perfection. But that if you emotionally attune to your child 30% of the time, sure, if we can get a little bit more in there, why not? Um, That we're going to generally have well-adjusted, securely attached kids. Okay. So let's say you have an executive, a high-functioning, high-profile executive that um, didn't do any work. Mm -hmm. Okay. And let's say they're coming from, they had a fight with their partner in the morning. Right. And it really hit some of those deep injury wounded places okay. from when mom or dad or caregiver dismissed, invalidated, put their feelings away. Mm-hmm. That person's going to walk in the door 
and they're going to be having a really hard time. They might start yelling. They might start barking orders. They might have really super inconsistent ways of leading mm. in their workplace. Mm. So then what's that going to do? Well, then that's going to have all of their employees around them feeling like they're walking on eggshells. Right. So you're going to have super hypervigilant nervous systems in the work system. Yeah. People are going to feel on edge. They're going to feel unsafe. They're mm. not going to want to do the work. They're not going to perform at their best capacity mm -hmm. because they're not in the best prefrontal cortex brain place. Right. Okay, so you have someone that does their work. Okay, has a fight with their partner in the morning, sits in the car, takes a few breaths and says, what's going on for me? That mm. was so hard. Oh yeah, okay. I remember, I remember that time when I left for school and I didn't want to go and I was so upset. Mm. My parent pushed me out the door and said, it doesn't matter. You have to do that, get going, I don't care. And they touch on that. Mm. And then, so if the person who's done their work says, oh, that's what that is. They breathe in, have their release of emotion, and then they walk into their workplace in a completely different state mm. with a rested nervous system, just like for everybody else. And then the workplace culture changes. Yeah. Does that kind of give a good example <laughs> yeah, about no, like, what that might look well, like? It is. <laughs> and, and it's like, like, this is true, you know, self-awareness, mm -hmm. self-regulation, self-management. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I can attest to, and this is pretty new for me, but, but, you know, just in the last couple of months, like being able to catch myself in the act of being myself, mm. good, bad, or otherwise. And, and right now it's more the bad I'm focused on to mm. say, but it's that instead of, um, emotions escalating, mm -hmm. it's like this curiosity of why, why am I so upset? Absolutely. Why am I so bothered? Why, you know, why is my mind running wild here? And that just that the curiosity feels like it kind of, I guess it is, it's bringing you into your prefrontal cortex because now you've got to think to answer the question mm -hmm. as opposed to just chase this adrenaline and, and cortisol um, kind of wave that you're riding now. So, yeah, so it does, it makes perfect sense. I mean, and, and hopefully for the listeners, mm -hmm. Like the one thing I'll say, and, and again, I, I don't have years of this under my belt, but it's it's freaking useful and practical. Like mm -hmm. I can't believe like after one session where we focus on something like this, like literally that day, it's changing how my brain works and how I think totally. and how I react, which is which is a huge thing. I'm sure not just for me is our reactions to inputs. Um, Absolutely. And, and wouldn't it be nice to um, instead of feeling like we're reacting to our lives, and reacting to all of these things around us that we're feeling like we're responding. Mm. That would be such a nice thing to say, I'm going to take a breath right now. I'm noticing some things going on for me. And even being able to offer that pause to yourself and to others. Right. To say, I don't have to engage in this right now. I'm just feeling a bit, it's not feeling right for me or I need a minute. Yeah. And then say, I'm going to choose to respond instead of react and how that changes relationships. Hmm. Um, this is so helpful, Chantel. I'm, I'm just wondering about sort of the scope because like it's a pretty broad field, right? Very much Therapy so. Therapy yeah. and psychology and mm -hmm. counseling. Are, are there, I mean, I know there's a few different disciplines that, that you practice. Are there any that you want to mention here or just sort of highlight, give us a Coles Notes version of just because like you said earlier, you're, you've been becoming energized and excited by them. They're high impact. I'm one yeah. of the things that, that I know 
I really enjoy about working with you is it's very practical. So mm. you, you give me the understanding of the background, but I always leave a session with you with something to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I usually have more clarity and, and feel better when I leave. And that's, that kind of works for me. And the, and the people that I've referred to you have, have shared the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, well, anything you want to highlight about any, any of the modalities or, or areas you yeah, focus? For sure, and that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say that, like, my training is, you know, we, we kind of walk into a counseling master's, you know, for us to anybody to have a registered clinical counselor behind their name in BC, you have to have your master's right. in one of the, like, I think three or four fields, psych, social work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a difference between psychologists. Psychologists have their PhDs. Okay. So that's like that big difference. A lot of them do testing. A lot of them do practice, but a lot of them do uh, testing, school testing, et cetera, et cetera. Psychiatrists are doctors. They are not necessarily therapists. That is a really clear distinction that I'm always very... I have some people in my in my world that are therapists and psychiatrists. Okay. The rare gem. <laughs> the rare gem that can give such beautiful therapeutic support and session and give meds. Right. Because that's a big piece, right? The <laughs> to, meds? For, yeah, like for some people. And to remember that meds for some people are forever. And that's great. Some of them are just, I need to get out of this forest because I can't see. Mm-hmm. And then in order even to be able to access therapy and to change my neurology, I need meds to help. Right. You know, there's a lot, it's a big spectrum, right? But right. sometimes some people really do need some support and medication is sometimes the only way. Right. Um, so for me though, I, uh, so I do EFFT, I'm an advanced practitioner in emotion focused family therapy, okay. emotion focused therapist, as you probably hear me lots of time in session that I'm like, just sit in that breathe. Where do you feel that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, and then another thing that kind of popped up in my world, uh, after doing some work like therapy for a while was I was noticing with my clients that, um, no matter how much talk therapy, no matter how much digging we were doing, no matter how much awareness we were practicing in session, they would go out into the world and they would get triggered. And they were like, Chantel, I, like we have all these skills, we have all these tools, we've done so many different things. Why am I still getting triggered? Mm-hmm. And so then I went out to seek out yeah, EMDR, mm-hmm. um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Right. It has been a game changer in my practice. Um, it is a brain-based trauma therapy or that involves eye movement and reprocessing trauma therapies in the brain. And again, on that trauma piece, it can be the bully on the playground because Mm. it's how we receive and feel in that moment that makes the impact Right. versus it could be a car accident. It can be PTSD. It can be a lot of different things, but I've noticed massive differences for people uh, because trauma is in the body and we have to treat the body. Right. Right. So I've done that. And then another area, um, that I'm super passionate about is parents mm. um, and uh, neurodiversity in emotion coaching and parenting uh, and learning how to really raise your kid from a child-centered point of view mm. as opposed to the ways that we're supposed to or told we are supposed to. Right. Yeah. When I hear those things is when I wish I could rewind the tape. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's, that's a tough one. Yeah. It's a tough one to acknowledge that you put your best foot forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't that great well and and it's hard right because in one of the things that we say in emotion in EFFT emotion focused family therapy is that it's not what happened it's what happens next yeah. right and so you've already made so much beautiful progress in your family now then you and just because it didn't go the way that maybe you wanted to or sometimes you look back you're like man I wish I had that information or man I wish I had that those skills you have them now yeah and what we do know about the parent-child relationship is that it's for life. Right. 
Yes. Wherever you are on the spectrum of your, with your parent, whether you're estranged yeah. or whether you're like completely and totally codependent and enmeshed and everywhere in between, that relationship is for life. You will always have a relationship with that parent. Yeah. Right? And so you get to change it at any time, both ways. Child yeah. And that's very, that's exciting and energizing and it liberating. Is, right? I, mean, I mean, this week, um, both of my babies, you know, the clock turned over. Yes, it you did. You know, um, yeah. Freddie's 27, Oscar's 24. And I'm, I'm realizing that like I'm putting so much focused energy on building mm-hmm. healthy relationships, relationships with them as adults, mm-hmm. um, which, like I said, I can hold myself accountable to the things that I didn't do well mm-hmm. as, a, as a parent when mm-hmm. they were younger uh, and kind of let go of that and, mm-hmm. and say, yeah, what, where to from here? And that is, that is exciting. Like it's never too late. It's right? never too late. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's just never like too getting late. yourself off the couch and getting to the gym or, you know, starting to eat better or, mm-hmm. you know, having better friendships. It's never too late. Yeah. It's never too late. So um, if somebody, hopefully by now, mm-hmm. there's some listeners that were like, oh, okay, so so maybe this might be helpful to me and maybe yeah. it's not so weird. And Yeah. Um, how does someone start? Like, how do you, if somebody's like, okay, I think there's some stuff here I need to attend to. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, my listeners are, you know, Canada, the U.S., some parts mm-hmm. of Europe. So it's going to be different. But but in general terms, what advice would you have for someone who's like, okay, I, I want to explore therapy? Yeah, Where absolutely. Do they start? What's really cool about, and so I can only really speak from B.C. And, and most of Canada. I don't really know the states, but I think it's generally the same in North America. Europe would be a little bit different, especially because they actually, which is really interesting, they have very, very strict regulations around therapists. Mm. Most of them need to be psychologists, Ph.D. level. Um, they're very, they have way more strict uh, guidelines around that, whereas right. we have a little bit more loosey-goosey, also why there's so many of us. Right. Um, I would say that what you can do is that... You know, just like me on my listings, I'm on Counseling BC and Psych Today, mm-hmm. Psychology Today. And what's really cool is that you can go and look what you want. Yeah, There are lots of therapists out there, but we all have different things that we do, right? right. So right. it's like, I'm looking for a person for parenting, or I'm looking for someone around divorce, or mm-hmm. I'm lo- like, and so then we click on our profile, oh, I specialize in this, 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 and then you'll find a match, mm-hmm. which is also super important. Right. Yeah. And I know in the coaching field, sometimes like fit is everything. Yeah. And, and when someone reaches out to me, I always say, well, happy to have a chat and yeah. explore the fit. Because if, if there isn't a fit, I mean, there's so much trust and vulnerability and expectations around this relationship. Mm-hmm. So what happens in, in your field, in your world when there isn't a fit? What, what advice would you have for a client? Just, you know, they, they have a few mm-hmm. sessions with their counselor therapist and it doesn't feel right what what would you suggest to do yeah absolutely um i'm a as a therapist i offer consultations um because i do have a very different style than i think what is perceived to be the kind of movie objective of like what a therapist looks like you know like i am not sitting back writing going "Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. That's so hard. <laughs> like, yeah. tell me more. Tell me more. Right. You right. know that I'm not like that. I'm in there. I'm direct. I am. I use self disclosure at times as a as a means of like reorienting the power balance between a therapist and the client. I don't like it. I don't like that power imbalance. Whereas I'm sitting in this chair, holier than thou, that I have all this information. No, I'm a person. Yeah, sure, I went to school, mm-hmm. but I'm a person, mm-hmm. and we're relating and co-regulating within the confines of therapy. Right. Um, 
So I think you got to date for a therapist. I know it sounds like a little ridiculous, but just like you date to find a fit in a person mm-hmm. as both friendships, platonic, romantic, whatever, mm-hmm. a therapist should be no different because it is at times, most of the time, a replica of an attachment like relationship. Mm-hmm. You need to have safety. You need to have trust. You need to feel seen and heard and valued inside that therapy room. And if you don't, you're not going to get any real work done. You're not going to open up and get to those really nitty gritty places that you need to go for healing Mm. and for growth. So you got to date a therapist. If it doesn't feel right, the vibe's not right, it doesn't feel good, you walk away. Right. right. You can walk away in a compassionate, loving way, say, so thank you so much, this fit isn't working for me. Right. And a good therapist who has their own therapist <laughs> right. by the way which is a little bit of a funny rule of mine don't see a therapist who hasn't either been to therapy or has their own therapist yes then they're not managing their own uh, emotions around it mm-hmm. are they feeling rejected mm-hmm. are they not feeling good enough mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with the client and they need to check themselves right right so it should be if i'm not a good fit for you tell me and i'll help you find somebody who is yeah because it's that positive g- regard that makes so much sense D- right yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um well, I, I have a feeling, well, first of all, I know we could keep talking. Forever. Um, and, and, and I know you, you need to get to work and, and, do. and take care of some other clients. I am so grateful that, that you agreed to do this. I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I can't wait to hear. I know I can feel already the feedback from some of the listeners. This is this is it's a new area. I have a feeling that I'm going to want you to come back. Would you come back oh to God, do more? I would come back in a heartbeat. Okay. Well, I can't thank you enough for inviting me here and to be on here. I'm feeling very lucky and very privileged to even be invited here. So, well, I, awesome. I'm, I'm glad. I mean, the, the impact that you've had in my life in the last couple of years has been absolutely transformational. And I, I'm excited about what's to come and yeah. a little bit scared too because that's because <laughs> you take me places that I don't want to go. Yeah, uh, I'm like, come on, let's go. Yeah. Um, any, anything else? I mean, I know your practice is busy. I mm-hmm. mean, if, if you uh, if, if people are listening and they want to reach out, you can share your uh, where you can reach me here. Um, yeah, they can look me up on the on the lovely interwebs, Chantal Burke. Right, I just said I'm on site today in Counseling BC, and I think what I would love is just. I would love for people to feel less stigmatized about reaching out for support because every single human being is having their own struggle. The world is hard. And wouldn't it be so nice to just feel safe and held, even just for an hour a week? Mm. Yes, Yeah. it is. Thank you so much, <laughs> Thank Chantel. you so much. Okay. The Real Leadership Podcast is produced by Chris Obst Leadership and Alive Creative Services. Thank you for listening.